so much for giving us just the, the wonderful opportunity once again to gather together in person, and we are so grateful for that. We know that you are a God who is faithful, Lord, and we, we trust you, and we, we thank you, and we love you, Lord, for that. And Father, I pray today that you would just speak to our hearts. Father, fill our hearts with your word, and that we would not only be, Lord, hearers of your word, but doers as well. And so, Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say to every thought that enters my mind will be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, either way, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're now in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We do verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at Cry Out. We expose it right, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31 is today's text. We're going to complete the whole chapter. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. If you're there, say amen. Now, as always, before we even dive into uh, the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, and that was verses 1 through 11. Now, with Paul's, and we know this, right? With Paul's lengthy response, we can assume that the misuse and abuse of spiritual gifts was causing trouble, it was causing confusion, it was causing disunity within the Corinthian church. And so Paul, what he does, he sets them straight on the issue of spiritual gifts. And in verses 1 through 3, Paul tells the Corinthian believers that, that he doesn't want them to be ignorant unlearned, uninstructed, uninformed of the truths that, he had, that he's about to explain to them in this chapter and also in chapter 13 and chapter 14. And he wanted to make sure that they understood, you got to get this, okay? He wanted to make sure that they understood that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are distinct, say distinct, from pagan spiritual experiences. He also made it clear that the way you know how the Spirit of God is at work in you is that the Spirit within you declares what? That Jesus Christ is your Lord. That he's your master. That he's the one that you follow. He's the one who you obey. He's the one who has your attention, your affection. He has your heart. The one who's in charge of your life. And then in verses 4 through 6, Paul points out the source of spiritual gifts. That's the divine trinity. The gifts are under, say under, the lordship of the triune God. Different gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. That's the Holy Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. That's Jesus Christ. Different kinds of working or effects, but that's the same, but the same God at work. The triune God. Our spiritual gifts are different. They're different. They're different. But the same triune God is behind it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are behind it all. Same, different, but the same. Same. And then in verse 7, Paul tells us the purpose of our spiritual gift or gifts. And the reason that spiritual gifts are given is for the common good. Say that, for the common good. They are given to us so that the whole church family, the body of Christ, friends, might benefit. Not, Not for our personal agendas, not to stroke our own egos, not to make us feel special or feel important. No, they are given to build up the body of Christ. Your gifts build me up. My gifts build you up. It's for the common good. Say that again. Say common good. For the good of the whole church, the body of Christ. And then in verses 8 through 10, Paul lists a variety of spiritual gifts. And he mentions nine of them. It's not not systematic or comprehensive, nor is it an exhaustive list. I mean, he doesn't even go into detail about these gifts. Now, after listing some of the variety of gifts, Paul 
Then in verse 11 adds that they are all given from one God, say one God, by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives or distributes them, the gifts, to each one just as he determines. So the gifts are distributed as the Holy Spirit wills, right? Therefore, listen now, we cannot take any credit for what the Holy Spirit has freely given to you and I. Can I get an amen? So that brings us now to today's text. The title of my message today is The Body of Christ. Everyone say that. The Body of Christ. And you know, there's just something unique, right? Something beautiful about that, right? The body of Christ. When we say that the body of Christ, it's unique. It's beautiful. In fact, Paul uses this unique, beautiful term. Write this down in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And Paul writes, And God placed all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, his feet, and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Verse 23, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 5.30. Write that down. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. And Paul writes, we are members. Say members. We are members of his body. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Paul writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body, there it is, body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, say whole body, this is what he says, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Are you guys getting this? Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians 1, 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is, love this, the church. Got it? The church. Someone once pointed out that Jesus has had two bodies on, on earth. Body number one was born in Jerusalem, died, was raised, and has ascended to the Father in heaven, but he has not left us without leaving a body behind. That's body number two. That's the church. Say the church. And as the church, we are, we are the arms, we are the legs, we are the feet, right? The hands, the ears, the eyes, the mouth, and the heart, say the heart, of Jesus to one another and to the world. The church is the body of Christ on this earth. He ascended and left us to continue his work on earth. And just as he, Jesus, loved people, so we are to love them. Just as he reached out to people, so we are to reach out to them. To teach them and feed them and minister to them, to love them. That's why we're here. Right, church? Someone said this, and I love it. The nature of the body of Christ is such that it is not a religious institution. Rather, it is a spiritual organism with Jesus as the head and each of us as members of that body through which Jesus works in this world. He goes on to say this. Most of the problems that churches always have arise because of a misunderstanding of the nature of the church. 
the body of Christ, is a spiritual organism consisting of all of the various members. And he goes on to say this. He is the head of the body. And this he regulates, Christ regulates and monitors every part of the body, for truly it is his body. Each of the members of the body must work under the direction of the head. And in interdependence, love that, interdependence with each other. I love that. And you see, most of the problems that the Corinthian church was experiencing was due to their ignorance, their ignorance of the nature, the true nature of the body of Christ, the church. And rather than seeing themselves as being an important, essential part of the body of Christ and under his control and leading, they were looking at their involvement with the church, with the church based on what they can get out of it. It was a consumer, it's a consumer, it was a consumer mentality. They were only concerned with their own needs, only concerned with, with their own desires. And to them, that was more important than what was good for the body, the entire body of Christ as a whole. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this concerning the importance of our understanding that we are part of the body of Christ. He said this, we are all members of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. Every member, listen to what he says, every member serves the whole body. Did you get that? And he says this, either to its health or to its destruction. There is no, listen, there is no mere theory. Okay, this is no mere, me, this is no mere theory. It is a spiritual reality. And what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer just said points out how important it is for each of us in the body of Christ to be faithful and to fulfill the function, say function, that God has for us in the body. And in the text, today's text, Paul is going to give the church some instruction about how to get along with each other using, listen now, using the illustration of the church being like a body. Because the church is the body of Christ. Now, if you're still with me, say amen. Three points from our text. If you're ready, say yes. Point number one is this. Number one is our placement. Say that. Our placement. Write that down. And we're going to look at verse 12. Paul begins to write, continues to write, the body is a unit, say unit, though it is made up of many parts. Did you get that? It's a unit, though it's made up of what? Many parts. And, and though all its parts are many, they form, I love this, they what? They form one Many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So the basic point of this verse, friends, and, and the whole chapter is that all, listen, all, all the members of the church belong with a role, with a role to play in the health of the church. Now, it's clear that we are distinct in our functions, right? We know that. We're distinct in our functions. We know that, right? But we're still one body. Listen, the church, not, not this building, okay, not this building, but the church, the body of Christ, is an organism, say organism, made up of millions and billions of parts. Yet it's still a cohesive unit functioning, operating as one. And, and that's what Paul is driving at. He, he's applying the functioning of the human body to the functioning of the church, the body of Christ, with Christ as its head. That Christians are part of Christ forming his spiritual body, the church. 
So, so this begs the question, friends, this begs the question, how do we get into the body? Well, look at verse 13. For we are all baptized, say baptized, by one spirit into one body. All say all, by one say one spirit, into one say one body. For we are all baptized, all baptized, by one spirit into one body. I want to stop there, friends, and this is the event. Listen, this is the event that places you and I into the body of Christ. At the moment of, listen, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit enters our life. Are you guys with me? Living in us and giving you and I, listen now, friends, new life. What it is, it's being baptized, immersed, indicating the finality of being placed, say placed, into the body of Christ. It puts us into union. I love this. It puts you and I into union, say union, with the person of Christ. It's simply the identification of the believer. That's what it is. Identification of the believer, his or her immersion in Jesus Christ. It identifies us with Christ. We are baptized into one body, the church. Got it? Let's read on. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. In other words, it didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter anymore because they were all in one body. I need someone to say amen to that. Let's go back to the text again. All given the one spirit to drink. What's this? This picture is the spirits coming into Christians and occupying their lives. And so as believers, we're we're renewed and we're refreshed and, and sustained at one fountain. His spirit. Okay? Where we all come to drink. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that beautiful? Now, if you're saved, say amen. Because as believers, we are immersed in, filled up with God's spirit, the same spirit for all believers. This means, listen now, got to get this. This means now we're connected. We're connected to each other. You see, this allows the church to become one body made up of diverse parts, different nationalities, different race, right? Different genders, male and female, okay? Different physical and intellectual abilities as well as social and economic status. Different, right? Different, but the same. As we said last week, unity in diversity, right? So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Are you ready? Simple. It's unity. Write that down. Unity. Say unity. I'm not talking about uniformity. Okay? I'm not talking that we all look the same, walk the same, talk the same, wear the same things. I'm not talking about uniformity. I'm talking about unity. Diverse yet unified. Got it? David Guzik said this. The body-like unity of Christians is not a goal to achieve. It is a fact to be recognized. To be recognized. I want you to write this down, John 17, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. This is known as the great high priestly prayer. This is when Jesus prayed. And he said this, 17, 20, and 21. And I love this. My prayer, Jesus says, is not for them alone. Speaking of the apostles, right? I I pray also for those who will believe in me. That's us. Through their message, that all of them 
Listen now, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, he says, may they also, and this is what he says, what's the importance of being united? May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When the world sees us getting along, right, collectively, loving each other in our differences, that might kind of just move in their hearts and say, you know what, there is a Jesus. Amen? So that's our placement. We're, we're placed into the body of Christ, right? Number two is our position. Say that. Our position. So, so now that Paul has made it clear that every believer is placed into the body of Christ, he now shows the believer the importance of knowing how they fit, how they fit into the body of Christ. And so here he calls attention to our position in the body of Christ. So let's look at verses 14 all the way through verse 20. Okay? He says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of what? Many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 18, but in fact, God, love this, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body. Every one of them, say every one of them, that's you and me, okay, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 19, if they were all one part, if they all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but what? One body. So what Paul does, Paul makes, it, makes the point that if, if just one member of the body of Christ is not functioning as it should function, then the body of Christ is not able to function the way that God intended it to function. It will not function properly. Now listen, no, no part of the human body functions for its own benefit, right? Right? Okay? But rather for the benefit of the whole body. That's the way the body functions, okay? And if it doesn't function in this way, the results, I'm telling you right, the results, the results can be damaging. Same with the body of Christ. Same with the body of Christ. Right? So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Diversity. Write it down. Say diversity. Lesson number one was unity. This is the second lesson is diversity. Hey, different is good. I want you to look at your neighbor and say different is good. Because you're different, aren't you? Right? Different is good. It's good to have variety. If everyone was the same and had the same gifts and did the same things, that would just be weird. That actually would be boring. Yeah? It would be boring. Now, can you imagine if the entire church were eyeballs? Now, we might have 20-20 vision, praise God, but we couldn't tell anyone what we saw. Right? It, imagine that the entire church were ears. We could listen to hear everything, but we couldn't tell anyone what we heard. Diversity, different, is good. E listen, listen. Each local body of Christ is unique. Right? 
and has a unique ministry function and is filled with people who are uniquely gifted, listen now, to function right within that body of Christ and in their community as well. God has placed in us, okay, placed us in the body where he wants us to be. I'm going to say it again. God has placed us in the body where he wants us to be. Go back to verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he what? Wanted them to be. Now, it may not be a high-profile position. It may not be a glamorous position, friends. Are you with me? It may not even be what, what we want to do. But if it builds up the body, if it pleases and glorifies God, then that's the right place for us. Therefore, no matter where you're functioning within the body of Christ, remember that you, you were placed, they placed in that exact position by the will of God. Now, I want to point out two different problems that happen in the church. When it comes to our giftings and our gifts, two problems that happen in the church. And the first problem is this, feelings of inferiority. Feelings of inferiority. You know, I'm just a foot, man. You know, I'm just an ear. You know, that's back in verse 15 and 16, right? And some of you think, well, just because I'm an ear, I'm an ear, I really can't contribute to the body of Christ, so I'm just going to step. No, 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 no. And there's a lot of folks in the church who feel like they can't contribute to the church because they're just an ear or a nose or a foot. Listen, your place where you are by God because he knows, say he knows, just what is needed in the body. And some of you are not functioning in the body because you feel like, well, my gift doesn't really... It's not going to make a whole lot of difference. And so there's a feelings of inferiority. The second problem is this, feelings of superiority. Feelings of superiority. Superiority. And I want you to look at verse 21. Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. There is a tendency for those who are in positions of visible service to feel that they are superior to others. Well, let's listen to how Paul responds to that, okay? All right? Okay, verses 22 and 24. If you're still with me, say amen. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it. What Paul is saying is this. Visibility does not equal importance. Did you get that? Visibility does not equal importance. Most of the important parts of your body are unseen. Right? But very vital. Your heart's not seen, but it's vital. Your heart goes out, guess what? You're dead. Right? Your, your, your lungs, your liver, your pancreas. People come and say, oh, you, you, your eyes look beautiful today. They never say, hey, your pancreas is beautiful. They don't say that. It's unseen, but it's a vital part in the body. And so sometimes in the church, we have it backwards. And we often give special honor to those up front in positions of visible service like pastors. Teachers, musicians, singers, when they already have all the honor they need. 
What we ought to do, listen now, church, what we ought to do, friends, listen now, is to be giving more honor to the more hidden parts. Hidden parts of the body, such as those who teach the Sunday school class and youth classes. Those who, who change diapers in the nursery. Those who do accounting and administrative work. Those who do the sound and, and multimedia. Those who pray. We don't see them, but they're praying every Sunday. Those who clean the church. Those who are involved in the food pantry. Those who make the coffee. Those who serve in areas that you don't see. Are you guys with me? We need to give more honor to those who are hidden. Listen, let me tell you something, friends. I could not do what I'm doing without those hidden parts. You see me every Sunday because I'm the pastor. I'm just the mouth. But I couldn't function without the rest of the part of the body of Christ. I need you. You need me. We need each other, right? And that's actually the next lesson. Write it down. Is we need each other. We need each other. The body of Christ is interdependent, not independent. Can I get an amen? What we need to do as a body of Christ, as believers, we need to resist self-sufficiency. The attitude, well, I'm okay. I don't need anybody. I can do it all by myself. We need to get rid of that, that stanza from Invictus. I'm the master of my own fate, the captain of my soul. Not in the church you're not. No, not in the church you're not. Jesus is the captain. And you and I are the servants. Amen? We need each other. Each part of the body is important. Each member needs the other members. And no, no member, listen, no member can afford to become independent. And when a part of the human body becomes independent, you're going to have some serious problems, right? That could lead to sickness, even death. And my point is this. The moment any part of the body of Christ says, I don't need you, I don't need you, it begins to weaken, cripple, and die. And what it does, it creates problems, chaos for the whole body. And you see, the whole point of this section is to teach us that every member, no matter how insignificant the gift may appear, is important to the proper operation and function of the entire body of Christ. Get this. Get this. Please get this. No believer should ever feel unimportant or think that they're, they're not needed. And no, no one... No one should ever say to or about another believer, we don't need you. Or my ministry can get along without you. Every member is vital. Say that. Every member is vital. Every member is important. There's no big I's and little U's. There's only us. We're in this together. We all need each other to function. Say, say function. To function as the body of Christ. Every believer has a position in the body of Christ. He's placed you here for a reason. You're here at Crowd Christian Fellowship for a reason. To function in the body, the local body here at Cry Out. Amen? Our placement, right? Our position, number three, is our purpose. Our purpose. If we all have different functions and responsibilities than we do, right, then what is our purpose 
in the body of Christ. Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Three subpoints. First one is to promote unity. Say that. To promote unity. And I want you to look at verse 25. That's the very first part of verse 25. So that there should be no division or schisms in the body. Did you get that? So that there be, should be no divisions. Say no divisions in the body. And we knew that in, in the Corinthian church there was tons of schisms. Right? Listen, when, when every member of the body of Christ does his or her part and submits to God willingly, say willingly, doing what they're called to do, then the body of Christ will function in absolute peace, unity, right? Peace and unity. That's God's plan for his, his church. And sadly, sadly, in some churches, friends, there, there are feet who want to be hands and, and ears who want to be eyes. And when that happens, what that does, that fractures the body of Christ and causes chaos. Okay? And, and perhaps some of you are saying, well, I, I, wish I, was, I wish I was an eye. I don't want to be a foot. I don't want to stink. You guys didn't even get that, did you? Hey, can I tell you something? Just be yourself. Yeah? Just be yourself and bloom where you're planted. Let's learn to function in the body in a way that promotes unity, peace, and success for the whole body of Christ. So it's to, to promote unity. The second sub-point is this, to practice mutual care. To practice mutual care. Verses 25b through 26. But that its part should have equal concern. Did you get that? Say equal. Concern for each other. Verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Did you get that? If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What affects any member of the body of Christ, let get this now, affects all, right? Affects all and all share in the sufferings as well as the blessings of any member. It's kind of like when you sprain your ankle. You've done that before, right? We've all done that, right? You sprain your ankle because your whole body is going to be affected by that, right? Because you can't do the things you normally do with a sprained ankle. The body is affected by a sprained ankle. The whole body is affected by one part being hurt. So question, how do you respond when a brother or sister in Christ is suffering? Do you hurt with them or are you glad that they're suffering? Let me ask you this question. How do you respond when a brother or sister is recognized or honored? Do you rejoice with them and happy for them or are you jealous of them? Hmm? Hey, when you hurt, I hurt. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When I hurt, I hope you hurt with me. When I rejoice, I hope you rejoice with me. Amen? Why? Because we're the body. And if we can't care for each other, why would the world be interested in us? Why would they be interested in Christ? To promote unity, to practice mutual care, the third one is to participate together. To participate together. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Did you get that? Now you are 
the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Gosh, I love that. So what Paul does, Paul reminds the Corinthian believers, he reminds us, all believers, we are now the body of Christ. And this isn't something, listen now, this isn't something that we have to seek to become. Instead, we just need to rest in the assurance that we're already in the body of Christ. So since we are part of the body, got to get this, since we are part of the body of Christ, then listen now, since you are, then you need to participate together in the body. So question, are you? Are you participating in the body? Now, if you just started coming here, I get it. You, got, you need some time to kind of figure out where God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. And, but if you've been here for a while and you're not involved in the body with your gifts, you're crippling the body. You're crippling the body. We're in this together. To say I'm not going to serve and just let everyone else do it, you are crippling the body. Are you guys with me? Because every one of you has a gift to contribute to the body of Christ. Can I get an amen? So let's look at the last verses of the text because Paul now gives a list of spiritual gifts. It's, it's not an exhaustive list, right? We know that, right? In fact, Paul's not trying to teach us everything there is to know about spiritual gifts. That's not his point here. He doesn't tell us anything about how to recognize a spiritual gift or even, friends, explain what the gifts are. Paul isn't focusing on the specifics of any one gift. Instead, he wants to teach us Teach us, listen now, friends, that God has made us different and that he has provided these differences for our benefit. You guys get that? Yeah? Okay, so look at verse 28. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles. Say apostles. Come on, say apostles. Apostle is simply one who is sent with a commission, a divinely appointed representative. A divinely appointed representative. And and, and the the, the apostles of the New Testament, what they did, they helped lay the foundation of the church so the foundation is already laid, which will never be repeated because the foundation of the church has already been set. And that's in Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. So this is a question. This begs the question, okay? Are there any apostles today? Well, in the strictest sense, there are no more apostles. In the strictest sense. But in the the, the functional, broader sense, there are apostles, sent out ones. And we would refer to those who are, we call, missionaries. Or those who go and start a work. Got it? But we have no more apostles who are to lay the foundation of the church because it's already been laid. If you got it, say got it. Then he says, and second, prophets. Second, prophets. And these are those particularly called to speak forth for God with the gift of prophecy. Now, I want you to hear me now, okay? Please hear me now. If one will either claim or receive the title of prophet today, let them be held. Let them, he or she, be held to the standard of a prophet. What's the standard of a prophet? Biblically, 100% accuracy. Are you with me? In every single word. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 to 22, write it down, Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 to 22, it says, if a prophet gives a false word of prophecy, he is to be put to death. Right? 
If, if, if we, we have people, they say that they have a word of prophecy and it's not accurate, it's not biblical, they cease to be a prophet. How many funky prophecies we've had in the last 16 months about this and that that were false. And sadly, some Christians were taking it into heart. Be discerning. Be discerning. Can I get an amen? Then he says, third, teachers. Teachers are the ones who impart truth of scriptures in a logical, systematic, practical way. They give you nuggets of truth. Amen? Then workers of miracles. This is the ability to release the power of God in a unique, supernatural way. It's to be done on the Holy Spirit's initiative, not the initiative of the individual. Then he says, also having gifts of healing. Now remember we said last week in the Greek, it's plural, gifts of healings, healings. So this, this refers not just to physical healing, but also to emotional and spiritual healing. Then he says, those able to help others. This is the, the gift of helps. One who has the gift to assist others in doing the work of God. It also could mean that you give money, you assist by giving money to help with a certain project within the body of Christ. Then it says those with the gift of administration. In other words, to help those with their gifts, to help those with their gifts and keep the church functioning at its most efficient best. And those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Well, we're going to examine the gift of tongues uh, in detail in chapter 14. And I got to tell you, friends, I'm excited about that. Okay? Because I want to I teach you what it really means and, and how the gift is supposed to be operated. Are you guys with me? Say amen. In verses 20 and then verses 29, I want you to look what, after Paul lists down these gifts, then notice what he, he says. Verses 29 and 30. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? So what Paul does, Paul uses a formula which in the original language presents this and now a rhetorical question that requires a negative, negative answer. And the obvious answer, the obvious answer is what? No. No. No, not, not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all work miracles, not all have the gifts of healing, okay? Not all do speak in tongues, not all interpret. No, 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 no. He says no. This shows that not all have the gifts mentioned, but rather that they are specifically distributed as God sees fit. Verse 31. If you're still with me, say Amen. Now, eagerly desire the greater, or your Bibles might say best, gifts. I want to stop there. Let's read that again. Now, eagerly desire the greater or best gifts. So Paul was talking about spiritual gifts, right, in this whole chapter, correct? And then he kind of, well, there was no chapters when Paul wrote this, but the chapter ends with now eagerly desire the greater, best gifts. So what, is, what gifts or gift is Paul talking about here? And some of you might say, well, is it love? It can't be love because love is a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, not a gift. So what is the greater or best gifts or gift or gifts that Paul's talking about? Are you guys ready? The greater, best gift is the one God has given to you. 
right, that you discover and you use it to edify the whole body of Christ. My gift's the best and greater gift to use for the body. Your gift is the best gift and greater gift to use for the body, for the body of Christ. Got it? We all bring our best to the body of Christ. Are you guys with me? Let's read on. Let's just end right here. Look at verse 31, the last part of verse 31. And now I will show you, I love this, the most excellent way. And I will show you the most excellent way. Paul was speaking about spiritual gifts, right? Then he comes and he says, and I will show you the most excellent way. And Paul will explain the more excellent way in the next chapter with a focus on love. Not the gifts themselves, but on, on love. So don't miss next week. Okay? So as we wrap this up, as, as the body of Christ on this earth, are you the body of Christ? Are you the body of Christ? Yes. So as the body of Christ on earth, let's learn to honor and, and let's, let's learn to esteem one another as we should. And let's give ourselves faithfully over to the head, Christ, to be used by him to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Come on, you can give him a hand clap. He's worthy. Let's all stand as we pray.